0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at Riderflex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the Riderflex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The Riderflex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand.
0: Alex Sidorenko on the Routerflex podcast. Hello, Alex.
1: Hi, Steve, and uh, hi, everyone listening.
0: So you're in Spain. I, I, I looked at your uh, LinkedIn profile, it says Switzerland. So, but uh, you live in Spain now?
1: Uh, yes, I've I worked in Switzerland, but now I live in Spain.
0: Okay, we're about?
1: I uh, live in a little coastal village um, in between Barcelona and France. It's an area called Costa Brava. Um, and it's a very nice change from some of the you know, huge multi-million cities that I, I used to live in. And, and we thought, well, we we kind of want to semi-retire and just live in a village on the coast and enjoy enjoy life and we've been while i'm kind of i I work and travel a lot uh, we've been living here for seven years and to this day every day we send kids to school we go for a walk on the beach um, just before i go into the office and it's still like it 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 just doesn't get boring it's still such an amazing amazing feeling
0: that's nice how's the weather is it mild year-round or what what's the weather like
1: it's, yeah, it has been a really, really warm uh, winter. Um, it's kind of, today is the second day of miserable rain, but other than that, it was really, really nice. Like, I mean, I I put on the jacket maybe five times.
0: Wow, okay, I didn't know that. All right, very nice. All right, what are the summers like? Are the summers super hot or are they okay too?
1: Uh, reasonable, yeah. High wow. 20s, early 30s in uh, Celsius.
0: Okay, very good. Uh, we, so this is uh, your wife, your partner, or what, who's... Yeah, tell me about your family.
1: Um, yeah, it's wife and uh, two kids. I have uh, a six-year-old son and a nine-year-old daughter. Um, son was already born in Spain, so yeah, they're, they're loving it.
0: Okay, that's great. What's your wife do? Or does she work with you, or does she take care of the kids, or what's she do? Uh,
1: she, well, she uh, takes care of the kids... And whenever she's not, whenever they're in school, um, she does a lot of online marketing. And now she's into bodybuilding, oh. and she's she has been in for, for a few years. And yeah, she's preparing for a competition, so it's like it's full on. Um, we we just um, arranged with the local butcher to buy meat in bulk um, because she eats she she needs like kilos and kilos and kilos of protein every day. And uh, we consume an unbelievable amount.
0: So how did your wife, the, the bodybuilder, how did she get into that? Is that something when she was young or where did that come from?
1: Um, I don't know. I think she was always kind of fascinated with the beauty of a strong female body. And she really kind of wanted it. And as soon as she um, kind of got back into shape after the second child, she was like, oh, pff, I'm going to go all the way. <laughs> not, not just be good looking and fit i'm gonna go all the way and become like a champion in spain wow. and uh yeah no she's been going at it for the last uh, couple of years and yeah it's it's kind of fascinating stuff
0: now does that put pressure on you for your diet and your workout and other stuff if you want to eat like pizza and drink be- drink beer and all that are you like do you feel the stress around that is there pressure for you
1: Oh well it's 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 more than pressure. I mean I um, I can't remember the last time I had beer.
0: <laughs> oh man. Yeah, cuz no, no, you... it's it's
1: it's full on uh, full on shaming um <laughs> for any unhealthy behavior I um I, I do. And, and I think I think the last uh, I think the last word she said to me was if you're going to do it make sure I don't see it. <laughs>
0: yeah because she's like eating meat and veggies or whatever right and you're like super
1: healthy super balanced like there's there's a full menu and literally like whenever we go anywhere uh traveling she takes little uh kitchen weights with us so she like she she measures the the grams (laughs) of meat and vegetables it's like 150 grams you know 300 grams and no more no less
0: wow what about the kids do they do the kids get to eat cake and ice cream or they're they're she's
1: strict on them too yeah, no, the, 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 the kids are kids are easy
0: okay <laughs> oh man yeah that would be a lot of pressure i know if me and my wife if one of us is eating differently than the other one it it's it's harder to manage right it's just harder to manage you know uh so wow okay interesting and you've been
1: married for how long um 13 years now
0: okay And how'd you meet her at a weightlifting contest? No, I'm just playing. How'd you meet her?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's actually, that's, that's a really nice story. Um, I was flying to, uh, to Germany to see my grandmother for her birthday. And she was flying to somewhere else in Europe, but she had a stopover in Germany and we were literally sitting, she was at the window seat and I was at the aisle seat and there was nobody in the middle, even though the flame plane was kind of almost full. And, um, she, she's really good looking and so there's there's this you know there's this dream that every guy every single guy on the planet has <laughs> to be sitting to a very good looking girl on the plane <laughs> and and start talking and um and it was kind of scary to start the conversation uh, and I see in the kind of mid, in, in the side of my eye I see that shes she begins to put in her uh, headphones in. And I'm going like, oh my god, I have to stop it because if she does, like, there's no way I can interrupt <laughs> her afterwards. A- and I remember saying something, something so stupid. I remember saying something like, you can't use electronics until after takeoff, until after the seatbelt sign has been switched off. <laughs> and she goes like, oh my god, what a, what, what an idiot. <laughs> and um, we, yeah, we never stopped talking for the uh. full duration of like two or three hour flight. Wow, and, uh, that's pretty yeah, cool. Been together ever since.
0: You know, if you hadn't, you know, that story ties to so many other things in life, right? If you turn left, turn right, you go through a doorway. This, that, a relationship. I mean, one little decision to make a left or a right can change things. If you had not said something before she put her headphones on, that may have never have happened, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it it really kind of really supports the overall. I guess my, my kind of my motto in in life, uh, I don't even know where something good or bad will happen. It's just, uh, it, it, it's random. And then the second thing that risk management teaches us is that not be scared of the randomness, but appreciate the randomness and kind of be prepared for the randomness. And whenever something in your life throws something at you, because you appreciate that, it could have happened by a complete chance by a complete coincidence and it may never happen again you kind of you grab the opportunity and you go with it um, also realizing in your mind that the upside could potentially be huge but the downside i mean the downside is insignificant so the, it's it's a no brainer whenever you you have a choice to do something or not do something the risk brain inside of me tells me, well, what's the downside? What's the upside? And if one overweights the other, then it's it's a no brainer. You kind of, of course, you're gonna try and do and test and uh, um, go to a new place or try a new thing. If the if the downside is not that big, then you kind of you jump on the opportunity, you jump on the randomness and uh, mm-hmm. benefit from the randomness. So I think that that was kind of one of those examples.
0: Yep, agreed. I totally agree. Tell me about your early life. Alex, tell me about your family. Uh as far as your mom and dad, siblings, you know, a lot of times uh who you end up being professionally is shaped by that in, in, in different ways. And so I always kinda like to get the early life history, if you don't mind.
1: Um sure. I mean I, I don't know how connected it is, my birth parents. Um, were from soviet union and they were both engineers uh, which i think was kind of the go to uh, profession for uh, for young people at the time and um, my my dad i think quite quickly realized the risks associated with living in soviet union and he immigrated to switzerland when i was very little and then kind of and then later after switzerland he immigrated to australia uh, where where i joined him and um my my kind of my my early life was normal schools um i did do a lot of kind of state and national uh, competitions in like biology chemistry Ah. math uh geography and um, I, i didn't think i was genius like i was pretty good at the local level at the kind of at the um, at the city or suburb level but I think it was demolished at the state and federal level <laughs> and um, uh, so I, w- I wasn't I, w- I wasn't the genius genius and I think that kind of that came from the mother's side I, I was inclined to study. In but uh, because my my dad is like this, you know, gold star medalist in education, PhD in chemical engineering, Ooh, okay. and uh, my my mom my mom is kind of more into kind of sales, communication, and uh, uh, talking a lot and very quickly and kind of you know laughing and joking a lot. Um, so I th- I think I kind of got the easygoing conversation from her and yep. uh, studying from my dad, but I probably got more easygoing conversations. So I was I was good enough to be one of the best in the class and I later became the student of the year a couple of years in a row in the university in Australia. Good. And um, uh, and kind of it continued last year I was named the, the best risk manager in Europe. Um, but the 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 kind of this always the outgoing, easy conversation, being able to find common ground with people and communicate. Uh, I think that kind of uh, came from from my mom. But my my dad, uh, I mean, helped really uh, a lot because when I was finishing school in Australia, just like most students, I guess, I really had no idea what I wanted to do, Mm. nor that I particularly cared. I already kind of, I I got good marks because I was the best student. I no no that was before I got into the university. I was was one of the best students at school and um, I got good marks. Uh, I think I was like, top three student in the graduation okay. for the uh for the school and so i was looking for a university degree it was kind of it was it was pretty clear that i was going to go to one of the best universities in australia but i didn't really know what i wanted to do and my dad was at the time doing his phd in chemical engineering at one mm-hmm. of the best universities in uh, melbourne and he's like oh i've He he probably felt that I had no idea, so he researched it for me, and he went and go like they've got this new degree called risk management. It's literally the first year ever uh, for a university in Australia to have an undergraduate degree in risk management. Um, To which I said, sure, why why not? (laughs) And uh, in Australia, the system is that you can kind of you can choose up to like ten courses, ten degrees, okay, and you basically put the more difficult ones at the top. And it kind of goes, if you, can you get into the first one? Do you have enough marks to get into the first one? If not the second, if not I the see. third, if not I the see. fourth. And okay. so risk management was number four for mm, me. Mm. And uh, the first three were very aspirational, but quite boring. I think they were like corporate finance or accounting or something. And um, I didn't get into that those um, uh, courses. And so I got into my fourth choice risk management. Um, which is hilarious because it uh, turned out to be a, quite a successful and fruitful oh. career um, in that. Um, but I think even more fun, the university canceled that degree few years after we graduated. We were the first ever. So me and like 30 other people, we were the first ever graduates in undergraduate bachelor degree in risk management in Australia. Interesting. And, um uh, probably in the world, because back in the day, that wasn't really a thing. And uh, um, they cancel the degree soon after because risk management kind of is not really a profession. It's a competency that any professional, like any startup founder better have some risk management competencies. <laughs> any finance, any tax professional should have some risk management competencies, um, which are not common sense at all. And in fact, mm. most of the risk management competencies are go against the human nature like the evolution created us to ignore risk that's true uh, un- yeah, good point. Un- unless it's kind of a life or death matter and even in the life or death matter most humans kind of are we're just lucky that the you know the, the nature doesn't test us because <laughs> most humans would fail the test miserably <laughs> and um and, and yeah so i um I, I was basically a guinea pig in a failed experiment uh, i was
0: I was surprised, actually, when I looked at your profile and was studying for the podcast, the fact that you, you majored or, you know, you, it, was, it was in risk management and got your bachelor's in risk management. That did surprise me. And in fact, I thought what you said, which was, I was like, man, I didn't even know that was a degree. <laughs> so, yeah. It isn't. It isn't.
1: Yeah. It isn't. We, we were the guinea pigs in the failed experiment. Oh, interesting.
0: Wow. Okay. But hey, it's uh, obviously it's uh, served you well. By the way, no siblings?
1: um uh, i have um uh, two step brothers and okay. one step sister
0: oh yeah. mom and dad mom What's... and dad mom and dad didn't stay together so uh, okay yeah. yeah all right How, why bother why did you go back to swiss uh, switzerland from australia did a job take you up there I'm just curious
1: um well switzerland was like the you know, number 10 on the destination list i oh. uh, um I'm from australia i went to to russia for a bit then to spain uh then to switzerland then to russia again then the war in europe started and i kind of i wanted to wow. cut ties with russia I and uh so now i'm back in back in spain so because it was you know, i was all over the place and i spent months and months in middle east as well ah. in that time period
0: well that speaks highly then of the little village you live in in spain right because you've been all over the world so that must be a pretty special place
1: um i i i think so <laughs> I hope I hope nobody on the podcast uh, hears that because we have way too many tourists. And, <laughs> you uh, don't
0: want any more. We, we, we don't
1: want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we don't want, want any more um, any more visitors. Uh, but yeah, uh, I've lived in a lot of places, and um, uh, the little village in Spain and the little village in in uh, Switzerland, where I lived and worked, uh, these two places kind of just really stand out as something. Unbelievable!
0: Very good. How many languages do you speak?
1: Uh, well, two and a half. I, I, yeah. I'm embarrassing that I'm still learning Spanish and I don't really speak fluently.
0: Okay, but you speak Russian.
1: I do speak Russian. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Very good. Okay. I was curious. All right. So you had a great career in risk management. Uh, you know, we don't have to go over all of those stops, because uh, I don't want to run out of time. But basically, you. You had a really good career, moving along, moving up, different jobs, moved to a few different places. When did you? I would like to kind of start with when did you decide to jump into, you know, being an entrepreneur and and kind of starting your your own stuff. How did that transition happen?
1: Uh, well, that that uh, I mean that actually that happened probably like fifteen years ago. Okay. And uh, um, the major motivator for that was. I remember, um, I started my career in risk in, uh, um, kind of global international consulting houses mm-hmm. A- and, uh, You worked for, for, right? work for Deloitte,
0: right? You worked for Deloitte. So I
1: started with Deloitte and then I joined PwC yeah. and, uh, in PwC, I was one of the co-authors of like the global PwC risk methodology. And I was going around Europe, training other PwC offices on how to sell risk management to clients. Mm. And then... I was headhunted away from PwC um, into a um, government venture capital fund. And and so it was basically a government fund uh, responsible for giving out grants to uh, small and medium-sized startups. And uh, I, I I was the risk manager there, but I think the kind of the most important learning lesson for me was I wrote essentially a book on what good risk management looks like when I was working at PwC, or so I thought. And then I started implementing everything that I wrote. I started implementing by the book at this venture capital um, uh, fund. And what I realized that none of the things that I believed for many years in my career to be best practice made any practical sense whatsoever. Mm, And so I had this realization come to me that, Oh my God, you know, consulting houses, we've been selling, you know, basically window dressing Ah. and uh, horoscopes Ah. as opposed to (laughs) kind of practical and simple pragmatic things. (laughs) And so that really, that really hit me hard because at some stage I had a change in boss and the boss brought in his own team and I was on the way out and I was, but he said like, you know, I said, I don't think I deserve to be out. And he said, well, build a business case. Uh, and uh, see if you can uh, justify you not being out. And I started okay. building a, started building a business case and I, I spent a lot of effort, like I spent a lot of time and a lot of effort. They were actually quite you know, nice, giving me a lot of time mm. to put something together mm. And at that time, I believed that what we did at PWC was best practice. And so I built this business case around that version of best practice. okay And what I realized I couldn't sell it to anyone in the organization. Not because I wasn't a good seller, but because the actual underlying ideas of what we thought was best practice wasn't best practice at all. It was basically just horoscopes. Mm. And mm. the executives at the time were actually much smarter than I was because they immediately saw through that. And they just went like, it's just, we don't need that. Like It, <laughs> it makes no sense and so i um i i was fired eventually uh, a few months after uh, from from the company and one of my uh one of my kind of immediate responses was and i think it was i think the wife was pregnant with the first child at the Ooh. time so it was it was mm, yeah. inconvenient <laughs> it was quite inconvenient at the time and i thought to myself well i better make yeah. some money quick and I immediately moved into um, entrepreneurship. I created uh, um, a lot of a lot of different training programs that uh, I used for um, uh, training in different business schools and universities. Okay. And um, I created a Risk Academy blog or portal, which actually became since then became the biggest uh, risk website in the kind of Russian-speaking world. So, you know, 180 or something million people uh, around the world that speak Russian. That's the kind of, that's the main go-to risk management website. Nice. um, To to this day. And uh, so my my kind of, my jump into entrepreneurship was out of necessity. um, But then kind of soon after that, I found a job at another uh, private equity fund and I became the head of risk there. I kind of continued my career, but that was the, that was the most important learning, mm-hmm. uh, learning point. Because once I failed once in that version of risk management, I since then started calling it risk management one. Basically, window dressing, facade, horoscopes, nothing to do with the actual underlying science of taking risks. Um, the next job I got and the blog and everything I've done ever since was about something completely different, a completely different risk management. I call it risk management too. Something that is based on, uh, by the way, not something that I was taught at university. It actually turns out to be that they were right at closing the program because what I was taught at university back in the day was actually really, really bad. It was also, (laughs) it was the same version of best practice that actually doesn't work and it never worked and it never meant to work. Mm. Uh, It was just somebody's kind of view of what risk management should look like. And um, ever since then, I've never done any of the things that I once believed to be best practice, and uh, that proven to be very, very successful. Yes. So it was it yes. was an important an important turning point. Um, it felt bad and i felt (laughs) sad uh, but it created the foundation the platform for this you know amazing career no doubt
0: about it i mean so many pivot points right in there and things that happened to you that shaped where you're at now wow you know my my co-founder at riderflex he always says everything happens for a reason everything happens for a reason which some people think is you know corny or whatever but wow i mean just think about the things that happened to you and how they turned you in certain directions how about that Excellent. So that's where the entrepreneurship came from. And by the way, for the listeners, we're recording this on February seventh, twenty twenty-three. Seems like every time I open up LinkedIn, I see some other news about some big company laying people off. Hey, if you get laid off and you wanted to start something on your own, it's a perfect opportunity, right, Alex? I mean, you you proved it right there. You uh, you started something back then, and then you took a regular job again, which is always interesting anytime somebody tries entrepreneurship for a while and then they jump back into being a quote employee. That sometimes is hard for people emotionally because they're, they, they were doing their own thing for a while, kind of their own boss. And then all of a sudden
1: I've been, I've been doing it ever since. And, um, most of my kind of, I think every one of my recent employees, hired me exactly because I had this kind of you know, consulting, training, education, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. business. Um, because my, my product is knowledge and models and kind of application of that knowledge to some sort of problem solving, mm-hmm. because my product is not a web interface or a physical product, because my product is kind of the competency of what I can offer and the advice right. that I can give for now. I mean, I wish it wouldn't because I, I'm kind of I'm really tired of talking and, and giving advice. <laughs> um, but for now my product is that I found quite quickly that I need to keep the knowledge and the ideas current, and I can only talk with authority about something that I physically done. Because this was kind of this was the the biggest learning point at the first venture capital fund. Uh I knew the theory, but once I started implementing the theory, I very quickly realized that it's actually, the world is very different. Like none of this made sense. And the theories just didn't hold up. And so now I, on purpose, every two or three years, I go back to full employment in different parts of the world to make sure I actually do something new, and then I can kind of turn it into a, a product for consulting purposes. So, for example, last year I was named the, the best risk manager in Europe for the work we did on applying quantitative risk analysis to insurance buying, and we saved the shareholder um $13 million in a single year. Which? Um, which was for the insurance costs, that was huge because we reduced the cost of insurance by like 40%. So almost halved what he was paying. Uh, for insurance while actually significantly improving the quality of coverage. So he got a much, much better product and started paying half. You know, imagine if you suddenly got a much better car and it costs you half the price of your current car. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I always kind of try and go back to full employment at certain periods to make sure I haven't forgotten and I I can try and then I, get, then I have like another five years of speaking with authority about uh, about something because... Every time I actually try something, I discover that you know it's not what it seems. Mm,
0: it's interesting. Now that that would scare me if I were if I was an employer, because then I would think, well, Alex is only going to be here for three years. Or do you tell them that ahead of time?
1: Well, so the last company, which is like a ten billion dollar global corporation and you know, one of the biggest in the industry, they hired me. In fact, I was for the for the first six months I was working as a contractor. Um, because they hired me, like, it, it take it took ages to do a Swiss uh, uh, job visa, and I was working as a consultant while kind of performing my normal kind of in house um, uh, duties. Uh-huh. And um, no, I'm 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 pretty transparent about okay. that. Okay. Um, it's I don't really have a time frame on like how long I will stick with the company for. The last company was three years. Oh. And it would have been much longer because we were on the verge of something amazing, ah. but then the war started and ah, um, it, it just like, it just killed all of the initiatives because when you, you know, when you're in the middle of the war and there are sanctions every, everywhere around, mm. you're not really, you're not really doing innovative stuff. You're surviving and that's mm. a completely different skill set and a completely different application of your, Kind of, of your methodologies like you're no longer trying to do the best you can possibly be you just kind of you we'll take anything you know we need to we need we just need to survive it, yeah. it, it was um yeah it, it wasn't really as fun uh, yep. as uh as it was but if it wasn't for the war i i would have stayed at the company for much much longer because we were doing some absolutely amazing things like mm-hmm. groundbreaking stuff for the you know, narrow profession of um, of risk management. It's, it's kind of, it's more the other way around. Like, I can stay in a role for as long as necessary, but in between the roles, for whatever the reason, like whatever, whatever the reason I, I, I leave and it's, for some reason, it's kind of, it, it's always put in one way or another because um, I, I left the previous company because the other war started um, in Europe and now this company because another war started. Mm. Uh, and um, um it's more kind of the other way around. I cannot stay a consultant for too long because I feel I would lose touch with reality. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I try and go back into the kind of hands-on to see, well, well, how does it actually work? You know, when I bring this concept, because with risk management, and this is a, you know, a fascinating uh, story for entrepreneurs as well, uh, many of the things we do in risk management goes against human nature. So you, you, come to, you come to a head of finance or head of strategy or a shareholder or an executive or a CEO and you say, well, why don't we apply some risk analysis to this decision you're about to sign? And you would be amazed how your decision will change once you add kind of a layer of risk on top of it. Because you know basically we ignore risk most of the time mm-hmm. and uh, most of the people don't believe you. There's actually there's a lot of pushback. So getting that pushback, because you, yeah, you know, I come to an organization and I say I can save a couple of million of do- millions of dollars on your insurance program with my eyes closed. It is like literally the easiest thing I can do in a single day. And, and uh, people just don't believe that. Like they they just cannot comprehend <laughs> the power of of quantitative risk analysis. And getting that pushback is very important because you kind of you say, well, okay, well, how do I how do I build a business case? How do I justify? How do I how do I sell this internally? Because I know it's going to make a huge difference, a positive difference. But how do I kind of sell it to and how do I make it stick? Because we, you know, we this is another thing. Like we would build a template or a calculator for the environmental team, and they would quantify all the risks. So we would build a calculator for the compliance team, and they would quantify all the compliance risks. And then literally the next day we walk out of the room, they drop the ball. It's like it's like nothing ever happened. We we, we we present to the board, the shareholder is happy. They go, Thank you, you saved us, you know, this was the best thing we've done, and then, and we loved it. Yeah. Literally you walk out of the door, they drop the ball. Because They're you're like, not oh, we,
0: because you're not you're not the executor of the plan, you're just delivering the plan yeah
1: exactly yeah and, and yep. uh, then somebody else has to execute and yep. they don't have the competencies or the passion that you have about risk mm-hmm. and so they just drop the ball immediately you need uh, to start
0: and, a. you need to start a side consulting firm that does the execution you need to say hey look i can sell the risk analysis and oh by the way if you don't want to execute it i have that too
1: <laughs> yeah it, it, exactly and uh you know, figuring out all of that out kind of requires you to be close on the ground from time
0: what what does the uh, your risk analysis apply to? Is it just insurance? is it is it the environment? Is it budgets? Is it spent yeah, what what all is it tied to if you don't mind?
1: It, I have been applying it to any type of significant business decision. okay whether the business whether the business plan is risky or not risky enough, whether this investment is worth hundred million or it's actually worth less whether this project can be finished in six months or it can be finished in nine months, Interesting. whether this insurance oh. policy is a good policy or not, whether we spend too much time and when we accredit and work when select best vendors or suppliers for our contracts, um, whether we need water purification plant for this uh, water pollution issue or we need water purification plant plus something else mm. whether it makes more sense to transfer dangerous chemicals on via rail or via trucks like anything anything you can think of any decision that has some uncertainty associated with that so any decision about the future that is significant that has some uncertainty associated with that um, I can do risk analysis for that.
0: That would mean you, would ha- you have to be an expert at almost every function or every department. I mean, you almost have to be an operations expert, a sales expert, a marketing expert, a, NH, a human resources expert, an insurance expert, a legal expert. I mean, you almost have to be an expert on every single facet of the business.
1: Well, well, I've been doing this for sixteen years, and I've just like it. When I listed the examples, it sounds like a lot, but I've been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, you're absolutely right. You, you kind of you do it one at a time. You do it one after another. Mm. So, for example, you know we figure, you know, we were figuring out how to um, reduce water pollution and how to quantify risks for water pollution. And we spent a couple of months really deep diving into the problem uh, together with the whole environmental team. I mean, it's not like it's not the risk manager who is a superhero who comes in and saves the day. Mm -hmm. It's -hmm. it's me providing the mathematical capabilities and the modeling capabilities to the environmental team, who are the true experts and me kind Mm. of Mm. trying to ask them the right questions, trying to build the decision tree or the influence diagram to then model the risks, to quantify the, the the risk exposure. And then, you know, insurance is the next one. We spend, you know, three months on one type of insurance, then another six months on, another, on the second type of insurance. And it kind of, it just, it, it builds up this portfolio and then procurement is the current kind of main uh, project and, um, okay this was the last project that I did before I left. And my team who, is, who, who left and continued doing, this is what they continue to work on. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, they progressed quite significantly into finding applications of quantitative risk analysis for specifically the procurement purposes. Do, uh, every do... single time it's working together with the actual owners of the risk, with the teams
0: do the leaders or the owners of that particular project or risk do they see you as the the no guy or do they see you as the oh my gosh Alex is going to present the risks and then the CEO and the board are going to be like that's too risky never mind let's not do it do they do they do they fear you as somebody's always going to shut down something
1: uh, no no it's quite the opposite okay. um the the only reason for example the only reason why we started with environmental and for example, like not safety right. is because the environmental team invited us. I see. And the only reason why we started with procurement is because we had a conversation. Well, I had the conversation with the head of procurement saying, well, wh- what's your kind of what's your performance measured? You know, how you, how is your bonus paid? And she said, well, my, my target is saving the cost of procurement. And I'm saying, but that's very risky because you can buy cheaper stuff but then the quality will deteriorate and the delays will be bigger. Mm. And so there needs to be a balance between kind of this risk and the Mm -hmm. cost. Mm. And uh, she said, oh my God, this was, this is going to save me because I I am also quite alarmed Mm. about just saving for the sake of saving and uh, actually increasing our risk exposure because Mm -hmm. it's a double-edged sword. And and so um, every single project that we did, was because somebody invited us to do that okay. or the, well, right. or the shareholder ordered us to work together to solve the problem that he was unhappy about.
0: Do you work as a solo consultant now, or do you have a team? If a company calls you, uh, do you have contractors that you use? How, how do you set it up? If, if you got a call tomorrow that says, Hey, need you to come to Australia for three months and, and do a risk analysis. Do you, do you take people with you or how does that work? Um,
1: so first, kind of the first decision to make is, is this uh, a type of decision or a type of risk analysis that is interesting to do? And uh, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. If it doesn't happen, I just kind of, I, I, I usually reference to like two books that already found the answers to that. And because I have my um, YouTube channel with 10,000 uh, subscribers and uh, I think 900 videos, I have answers to kind of most risk management questions out there, and uh, specifically for that purpose, I also created this annual conference I call Risk Awareness Week, where every year about 5,000 participants from like 120 countries uh, watch 60 different workshops, and they they cover all multitude of topics. So most of the most of the time, I kind of I refer people to existing resources and saying, well, you can find the answer here. You don't actually need
0: yeah, but how do you get uh, paid? How do you get paid on that? <laughs> how do you make um, money?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's that, that, that's the thing. I um, I get, I, I make a little bit of money from the ticket sales on the Risk Awareness Week, even though it has free access, and uh, he, he, there's an option to upgrade to get CPD certificates, and you know, kind of.
0: I, oh, I see. I see. Now, the the I, name makes it sound like it's it's uh, once a week every year, but it's it's gone way beyond that now, right? It's an online platform.
1: Um, so, so yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll come back to the risk awareness week okay. because I haven't really okay. answered uh, okay. answered your question. So, f- first, I decide if it's an interesting exercise to do, um, and if it is, then I usually do fly out. And in fact, I spent quite a lot of time in the Middle East, and I'm actually going to Australia next week. Mm. And uh, um, I usually fly out. I'm kind of I'm the face of the operation, um, but over the over the years, I do have a team. Like I I, I literally have a team of. Corporate finance specialists, mathematicians, Great. okay, and uh, yeah. like procurement specialists, logistical specialists, who who do the, um, the 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 actual handwork, the, the the tough modeling, the mathematical models, mm. and um, yeah, we, uh, we, we do this, uh, we do this as a team, and I kind of I really okay. act as the, ah. the liaison uh, with the client, and uh, I myself use my team and some other people. Uh, other speakers from the Risk Awareness Week in my life. For example, I um, I have a model for life decisions. Like I have a I have a mathematical model that uh, models um, you know whether I will lose a job or not lose a job. You know whether I will get sick. And uh, I I built it. Well, I, I I got a a friend, one of the speakers at the Risk Awareness Week, uh, Graham Keith, who is like a PhD in I think Cambridge. Uh, PhD in mathematics in Cambridge, Um, he built a model because I needed uh, to support a decision. Should I buy a house or rent a house? And should I sell my apartment uh, when I buy a house? Or should I keep my apartment and buy a house anyway? And uh, these are tough decisions uh, that are beyond human intuition. Mm. Uh, like you cannot process those complex decisions in your head so i literally had a model built uh, for that um, to calculate you know what would be the most beneficial outcome for the family over the kind of over the 30 years given different choices and uh, it was it was a fascinating exercise
0: okay now this this Sounds wonderful when you say life decisions that you have an analysis for that. How do you manage the emotional aspect of it? Because I'm thinking, I'm just sitting here envisioning if I tried to set my wife down and say, "Hey, we're going to go through this this calculation on a decision," my wife would just be like, she would have. I mean, she she's all she's about the emotional piece and what feels good to her. She don't give a shit about the numbers. You know what I mean? <laughs> how, do, how do I do that?
1: Uh, well so so i had i had a monte carlo model for my wedding where i um i i modeled the budget and the kind of even the presents that i was expecting for for are you serious
0: oh my god For the wedding yes and and
1: so the the wife um knew this was going to happen even before we got married (laughs) and i think this was a smart decision uh because I had a reserve basically the whole idea of budgeting and modeling is that you have a reserve, which is untouchable. And she, every single day, she tried to spend the reserve every <laughs> single day. And she was not allowed to touch it. And, and so I think she kind of got accustomed that, uh, uh, risk analysis is part of our life. Like I, I, I'm not kidding. I make her to write decision trees for where to celebrate daughter's birthday or for like all the different things she calls me. Like she calls me and says like, oh, sh- what should I do? There's that and that, like, should I go for the, For example, should I go for the competition in spring or should I go for the competition in autumn? I'm going, I have no idea. Build a tree and see what the, <laughs> what the, you apply the, uh, uh... the risk analysis techniques to your decision and see what that tells you. And um, sometimes she tells me to get lost and sometimes she does it. Uh, and uh, usually on most important decisions, she does it. Um, but the, I think the kind of the buy or not buy a house is a good example. Yeah. Because when we modeled that, the conclusion was that it actually doesn't matter. The difference, and this is a very important decision, the kind of outcome of risk analysis. You know, Sometimes you do the risk analysis and you very clearly see that something is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And if it's a bad idea on all circumstances, you can kind of, discount it immediately. But most of the time, the, when you balance the risks of one scenario and the risks of another scenario, because buying is risky, not buying is also risky because you have to then invest and the you know, volatility of the stock market is no less, it's actually more. And so both options are risky. But once you kind of model and you realize that in the big scheme of things, For me specifically, for the assumptions that I've made and the kind of the inputs that I had for my life, it didn't matter. And once you realize it doesn't matter financially, the difference was like a couple of uh, hundred thousand in like over the 30 year period. So insignificant. And um, once you realize the decision is indifferent financially then you can actually relax and this is exactly what we did and we're like mm. okay well now what do we feel like emotionally yeah I because see. the idea of risk analysis <laughs> is that you want to get rid of really bad scenarios I because see. some decisions like for example you know right now in um in kind of in belarus and russia you know people are thinking you know should i you know, the, the the company is coll- the country is collapsing yeah you know, it's it's dictatorship it's the everything the laws are closing like everything is going really, really um, down the drain. And so the decision for many families is: Should we immigrate? And immigration is a very risky mm. idea mm. Mm. because you basically you, you you drop your job, you you sell your assets, you lose a lot of money, and you have to start basically from scratch mm-hmm. in a new country. And especially if you're kids, it's like it's it's a whole it's a whole scary decision. Mm-hmm. But if you've done the risk analysis well, it becomes a no-brainer. Because staying is a much, much bigger risk. I see. Regardless of all the risks, of huge risks, like living is a huge risk, but staying is so much bigger risk. Okay. Then once you do that risk analysis, then you can go, okay, well now I can I can relax and yes, we, we have to accept some of the risks and maybe we can minimize some of the others. Um, so once you kind of once you do the math, the you you you, you discount all the really bad options and you're I left see. with a couple like of good options.
0: I appreciate that explanation. Thank you very much. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know what? That's, it's interesting. That's kind of my wife and I don't have a spreadsheet, but very similar, right? If she's talking to me about something that we're debating on whether or not to do my mind almost operates that way. I'll, I'll be thinking to myself, okay, I really don't think this is a logical decision, but at the end of the day, It's not that big of a swing left or right, depending on whatever direction happens. So whatever feels good, go for it, honey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, very good. So I want to make sure I know we're uh, bumping up at a time. I want to make sure you're talking about and highlighting um, any particular uh, website URLs, etc. So how about the podcast? Do you want to reference that really quick? Make sure people know how to go sign up and, and where to listen?
1: Uh, sh- sure. So I have uh, I have three resources, and we kind of we mentioned the first one, um, Risk Awareness Week started as an annual online conference uh, that runs every October. But because it's twenty first century yep. and the technology is so advanced, it really became much more than that. So now it's just kind of this online platform okay. that contains dozens and dozens and dozens of workshops from some of the best like nasa engineers stanford professors pentagon military analysts some of the best thinkers in the science of risk and decision making and they share the tools and techniques that are applicable to any human being in their personal lives or in their startups or in their companies um, whether it's a you know, small business or government organization or large corporation, it really doesn't matter because I specifically created the conference to not talk about, you know, kind of hyped topic of the year. Like we don't really talk about cyber risk. We talk about the math and the techniques behind the cyber risk because it's the same techniques you actually use for environmental risk. Okay. It's the same techniques you use for climate change. It's the same techniques you use for, intellectual property or legal risks, because once you kind of, in risk management, there are like five techniques. Once you understand the techniques, you can deal with any risk on the planet, like whatever new or sexy uh, the, the risk is. And so Risk Awareness Week is this global platform of so much knowledge that people can deep dive into different topics and just improve the quality of their decision making.
0: Okay, very good.
1: How they plan, forecast. And it's really easy to find. It's basically, it's year.riskawarenessweek.com. So it's like 2019.2020, 2021, 2022. And um, all the workshops are still there. And most of them are completely free. Okay, does it
0: matter what year you put in? If I put in 2023.riskawarenessweek.com, will it come up?
1: Well 2023 wouldn't because I haven't started planning it because it's October every oh, year. Oh, I but, see.
0: I see. But okay. by June no,
1: there okay. will be 2023. Okay. All right. Um, v- but 22 good. 21 2019 they are all there and it's it's a wonderful resource for people to learn to learn about uh, kind of risk based planning, budgeting, forecasting, insurance buying and anything you can think of. Okay. Um the, the other thing that I recommend people viewing is I have this blog Called Risk Academy, and I mean you can kind of, well, like, yeah, you can kind of call it my 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 podcast, but it's really more a blog, and it has hundreds and hundreds of articles on uh, a lot of different topics on how to improve decision making in business through the lens of risk management. And I publish a lot of guidelines, and yeah, you know, it, again, it's all it's all free. And, and then the last, and it's, it's it's really easy to find. It's Risk Academy one word dot blog.
0: Risk Academy, one word dot dot blog. Okay. Got it. All right. And then the third
1: uh, and, and the third is the YouTube channel where I do my kind of my webcasts. And in fact, I have one webcast, which we do every, we do it once a week or, um, once every two weeks sometimes with a Stanford professor, ah. uh, Sam Savage, who's like, who's the son of uh, Jimmy Savage. who is like the godfather of modern statistics. Okay. And, um, um, we, we call it chance talk.
0: Oh, really? Uh, All right. I like it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's amazing because we in, in risk management, it's not really about kind of understanding risks. It's about understanding the chances that mm. your decisions will be successful.
0: Mm, I like it, that. It's
1: about understanding the chances about your business plans being successful, about your budgets being met, about your objectives being met. So, and he calls it chance of whatever. Like whatever you have in mind, like you, I want to be I want to make this much money, or I want to be successful. I want to go mm, to this market mm, by this mm, time. Mm. Um, we can calculate the chance of that happening.
0: Do you bring and guests? Do you bring guests on guest speakers, and and what do you do? Or just you and him talking?
1: It, it's uh, me and him talking most of the time, but we do bring guests. <laughs> okay. uh, and if anybody's interested, you know, reach out, and of course, we'll uh, we'll invite you. It's kind of it's it's free for all. Uh, okay. We do it. We do we do a live webcast, so I people. Love it. All right. people kind of watch live and they ask questions live and then we respond to the questions like we usually have some sort of predetermined agenda but then we just kind of interact with um, with the participants um so okay. risk academy channel on YouTube um is probably one of the biggest uh, risk management channels even though it's a questionable achievement because it's such a narrow niche um but it's 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 pretty big in its niche it's called risk academy and it's yeah. it's quite easy to find hang on Alex hang on
0: Alex, congratulations on everything you're doing. You know, I've never met a risk expert that was also a marketing guy and a sales guy, because you are a marketer and a salesman, my friend. <laughs> congratulations yeah. on, on everything you. You, you, you've you built. Um, you're building a brand for yourself, brand for, for all your material. Really nice work, man. Um, you're a hustler. I appreciate that. I admire it. Thank you very much for being on the Flex show and sharing your story.
1: Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. And I hope the listeners enjoyed it.